Good morning, everybody. For the record and for the broadcast, I'm Chris Hicken, one of the readers here, one of the preachers. And today, it's the glory of God. Amen, Lord. Touch us by your glory. Fill us with your spirit. And let us, uh, your presence go with us as we go up from here. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the glory of God. What does this mean for you? So many of us these days who've received any touch of the Holy Spirit in our lives have been left with this inconsolable longing for his glorious presence that is more precious than life itself because it is drawing us to our eternal destiny. And it is only by reflecting his glory, his presence with us, that we can really be of any use in this world that needs him so badly. As Moses said, there's really no point, Lord, unless your presence goes with us. So, some explanations. First of all, God's back. Is this really the image we want of God's glory? I have heard it said that the ancient Hebrew imagination was much less visual than ours today. What mattered was the ideas portrayed by the words. This is why, for instance, if you try too hard to visualize Ezekiel's famous chariot and his vision in chapter 1, the modern imagination naturally comes up with some kind of spaceship, whereas the point is that God's power and vision are patrolling and active throughout the whole earth. I think we all have difficulties with our visual image of God. We are told not to make images, but we can't help it. My own is embarrassingly childish, but it goes back so deep into my infancy that I don't meddle with it for fear of coming up with something worse. I've heard a cautionary tale of some progressive parents who told their child not to think of God as an old man with a beard, but as ultimate reality. The child only realized much later in life that they had grown up with an image of God as a sort of rice pudding. We are better off with the archetypal image of the sage with a beard. We have to be gentle with ourselves. I can only accept the image I have and allow it to be upgraded by God's grace through the words of Scripture. So in Exodus 33, the point is, it's impossible for Moses in this life to see God's face, God's whole being. He could not survive the encounter. But God will reveal as much as Moses can stand. The book of Job in chapter 26 describes what we see in this life as but the outskirts of his ways and how small a whisper do we hear of him but the thunder of his power who can understand it is the words that matter and in Exodus 34 
God reveals his name. And we see how in the Bible, the name represents the person's character. The Lord, that is the famous four-letter word, unpronounced for thousands of years, that is God's actual name. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is who God is. So, the next explanation. Why does God punish the children and their children for the sin of the parents? Is this just? But God is simply allowing the natural consequences of sin to work themselves out. And we hardly need the insights of modern psychiatry to tell us how the sins of the parents can devastate their children. This is what will happen unless we allow God to step in. We are forgetting the whole of the beginning of that verse, the compassion and grace of God, who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The Hebrew term thousands can refer loosely to any large group of people, to whole families. So, sin may trickle down the generations. But God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness is lavished on whole families. We have but to turn to him and acknowledge our need and just how much it cost him to step in to save us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the glory of God. His goodness displayed in mercy and faithfulness. And in Exodus chapters 33 and 34, we have learned who God is, his name. And the people of Israel have learned that they are called to be distinctive. That their God is not like the other gods of the nations. He is the one who really did make the universe and everything in it, who has no interest in the capricious exercise of power, but is a God of justice, grace, and infinite love. So, what for us today? We too are called to be distinctive. Jesus says in John chapter 17, I have given them, speaking of his disciples, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. We are called to be one. And we are called to share God's glory. The trouble is, this is rather more than most of us signed up for. 
Blessed are they who are so full of the joy of finding Jesus that they just don't realize how dramatically they are displaying his glory. For the rest of us, people like me who've been Christians rather a long time, and so to speak, have come up the long way, it, take, it may take a bit more effort on God's part and on ours. We are called to be distinctive, to allow God to awake his image in us so that we display his glory. We are called to do this in the face of a culture that doesn't want God to exist, that doesn't want him interfering in their schemes, and in the face of our own doubts and fears and drowsiness. It is grace. It's all grace. It's only God who can do this for us by the cross of Christ and his Holy Spirit at work in our lives. But we have to respond to answer the call to follow Jesus. If we don't, we shall drift and forget our calling and his glory. To neglect our calling is quite simply sin. St. Paul says that we sin if in any way we fall short of the glory of God. So here is a right seasonal Advent call to wake up and be on the watch. To be on the watch for opportunities to bring God's kingdom to those around us. To be alert for those good works which God has prepared for us. This call to glory in making us fit for heaven has very practical consequences in committing us to work for the kingdom here where we are now. Where we are headed and what we worship shapes how we behave and who we become. So, as St. Paul tells us, when the world tries to swamp us, we are to focus on what is true, noble, right, pure, and lovely. We focus on the glory of God. I'm now going to quote extensively from C.S. Lewis because he wrote a sermon about this very subject, the weight of glory. And he puts it like this. It is written that we shall stand before God, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, that any of us who really chooses shall actually survive that examination, find approval, shall please God. To please God, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in, as an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son. It seems impossible a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. And he goes on to point out that this glory is there for our neighbours also. The load or weight of burden of my neighbour's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses 
to remember that the dullest and most in uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. So wrote C.S. Lewis, the weight of glory and the weight of glory of our fellow human beings. God's call to us to be distinctive. So be on the watch. We and our Christian neighbors are bound for glory. Amen.